Hello, my name is Samuel George London and welcome to Comics for the Apocalypse. On today's episode, I speak to comic book artist, writer and fantastically fun person, Alan Henderson, about what comics he would take into the apocalypse. But before we get into the show, it's with pleasure to announce that we now have a sponsor. No, it's not a razor or mattress company that likes to cut out the middleman, but it is the wonderful Comic Scene magazine. If you haven't heard of Comic Scene before, it's an award-winning magazine that's available digitally and in print in selected comic shops and newsagents in the UK, Ireland, Australia, Canada and the good old USA. Digital and print subscriptions from £2.50 are available at getmycomics.com forward slash comic scene or you can simply order it from any newsagent in the UK or Ireland. Also be sure to check out their website comicscene.org for more news, details and other fun stuff. And just so you know, up until Saturday the 29th of February for every 1,000 downloads of the digital edition of Comic Scene They'll be giving £500 to the registered charity Little Heroes who make comic kits for kids in hospital. So be sure to visit getmycomics.com forward slash comic scene to get your digital copy of Comic Scene magazine today. Now without further ado, on with the show. Hello Alan Henderson, how's it going? Very good Sam, thanks uh, Thanks for having me on. Ah, it's quite alright, it's a real pleasure to, to get you on. Um, and uh, from from sunny Edinburgh, I believe. Um, Is it sunny? It's a bit, bit battleship grey at the moment, but that's uh, oh, no. you know. <laughs> that's it's just sunny Edinburgh. in your heart. It's sunny indeed. in your heart. I indeed, hope. indeed. Because you sound you sound nice and. Uh, nice and uh chipper uh even though it is it is a monday um so, so i appreciate your enthusiasm not a problem at all <laughs> fantastic uh, well, now... it, yeah it was because it's just great that we're actually having this call on uh international penguin awareness day it, it seems, is it seems really? more more than fitting the, the, the oh day of recording <laughs> that's amazing um and and rightly so um is it is there any particular reason for 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 that None that I'm uh, aware of. I just piggyback no. on the the internet uh, having its wee fad and just <laughs> use right. it as an advertising yeah. element. Yeah. Oh, fair play, mate. But uh, yeah, go 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 check that out. I'm sure we can all look at some cute pictures of some penguins. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, that'd be nice. Uh, anyway, uh, for for anybody that isn't aware of what you do, um, what do you do in the world of comics? So I am the creator of the daily web strip, The Penned Gwen which features funny little stories about funny little penguins. Uh, normally told in the sort of three-panel newspaper strip style. Um, it's all the dad jokes and cringing humour that you would come to expect from the, the sort of strip you would find in a newspaper if uh, if newspapers still had such strips. <laughs> it's fantastic. Um, and just just for the listeners that haven't come across it, to give them a flavour, I mean, I hope you don't mind me kind of, you know, just reading uh, no, straight off the Tumblr. But basically, so it's a, it's a three three panel strip, um, and you've got your your classic uh, penguin, um, and uh, the the first panel, good judgment comes from experience, and then the second panel, and experience, and the final panel. Well, that comes from poor judgment, um, and uh, that's just brilliant. <laughs> I mean, how, where, where does the inspiration for, for, for all that come I from? beg, steal, and borrow from from all over the place, um, and we'll we'll try to find those sorts of you know inspirational statements, if, if that's what you want to call that, yeah. uh, and, and see. Okay, so, if I was putting it into a three-panel process, how would I do that? And you know, what are the timing beats? Um, and, and just go through that piece about saying all about the timing and how, how do we penguinize, which is my, my made up word, but nice. it's, you know, how do we, we convert a joke from being whatever it is into being suitable for the penguins? Yeah. Uh, that's fun, fun, fantastic, Alan. Um, and um, where can people find you on the interwebs? So you go into any form of social media or even just onto Google and just uh, type in Pendguin, that's P-E-N-N-E-D-G-U-I-N. Uh, it will come up um so we're on facebook twitter uh, instagram and as you said tumblr as well where it's been running now for almost seven years so 
Incredible. Um, and all of those links are in the show notes. Um, but I believe that you, you were a runner-up in the Comic Scene Awards as well. I was uh, for, awesome. for Best for best Webcomic, um, yeah. which was, was a bit of a surprise because I, I actually, it started out as a joke saying that I was disappointed they didn't have a category for uh, for three panel strips that featured penguins, as that was possibly going to be the only hope I had of ever winning the award. But, um, but yeah, no, we were... We were a close runner-up, I understand. So I'll take that and and just be proud of it. Well deserved, Alan. Well deserved. Fantastic. Uh, Now, uh, that aside, I do have some bad news for you. Um, And that is that there's actually uh, a nuclear missile headed straight for Glasgow. Um, just to give you a bit of a fighting chance. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, my my first question for you is, is what is your action plan for survival in, in the nuclear fallout? So I think from a, from a nuclear fallout perspective, I'm going to take a, a three-stage approach here, short, yes. medium, and long term. So <laughs> I, think, I think from the short term, it, it's uh, a quick hop over the bridge into from, from Edinburgh into Fife and uh, get to, to Scotland's secret bunker. Um, nice. for, for those that don't know it, it's just near St Andrews, uh, outside a, a small place called Crail. Not mm-hmm. really that secret. And uh, it, it's it's an old nuclear bunker, but it's, you know, you go in there, and I think that would be our short-term solution to, to survive the initial uh, fallout stages. Um, once that has settled down, I think we come back over the bridge um, from a medium-term perspective. And if the mutants are rising up, We'll, we'll move into to Edinburgh Castle, given that Edinburgh Castle has, has never actually been taken by force. So I think right. it's you know still going to have that, that ability to... We can defend ourselves there for, for a while. Um, and once we've made friends with the mutants and everything's settled down, it's just about moving out to rural Scotland and, and starting to, to do the farming and uh, the, uh, the re-establishment of, of civilization. Nice, man. And who's, who's going with you on this journey? So I better take uh, the uh, long-suffering Mrs. Henderson with me, who um, <laughs> puts up with all the puns and dad jokes uh, as the the quasi-editor of the Penguin. Um, and uh, she'll probably want to bring the, the two cats with her as well. So that, that would be the family family horde. Nice, nice. Fantastic. So um, on, on your way to the uh, not-so-secret bunker... Um, by by St Andrews there um in the car um the subject of comics does does arise and the uh, the first question that your your wife asks you is uh, what is the first comic you remember enjoying so i think like most people in the uk my my very early comic experiences would be through dc thompson um for whatever reason my parents bought the dandy for me rather than the beano so mm. i was the, the in, I was a dandy boy, mm-hmm. which suggests something else nowadays. But let's, let's go with that. <laughs> um, and I think they, I then moved on from from that to to look and learn, which was another child. As you know, if you're a child of the seventies or eighties, you would you would know what look and learn was. And inside look and learn, it had the Trigon Empire as as the sort of early exposure to some sort of European comics. Um, but in terms of when I would actually say. I got into comics. That that actually goes back to about 1989, right. when I had a trip through to to Glasgow, and at that point, or well, just about a month ago, they they, they moved. But Forbidden Planet's um, Glasgow shop was very near the railway station, and I remember picking up some comics on the way home, where I picked up Detective Comics 601 through 603. And I think it was Detective Annual Number Two as well. So I always treat the first comic that was the full-blown "Let's Become a Comic Reader" as um, Detective Six Hundred One. So it, it's it's an Alan Grant written uh, book, um, starring the art of uh, Norm Brayfogle. Um It's a simple mobster slash monster of the week type story, um, and the the three parts of, of Six Hundred One through Six Hundred Three had the had the whole story in, in, encapsulated in it. And that's what introduced me to the to worlds of capes. Um, and I've not missed a copy of Detective Comics ever since then. Uh, that, that's, that's kind of where I started. That's amazing. Um, and so when did you think that you'd, you yourself would have a crack at, at doing a comic? So, so the, the comic journey from there moved to, I say, regular comic reader, 
um, using the Edinburgh comic shops that, that existed, um, made a lot of friends through those comic shops. Right. And then we started as, as a, a group of friends to go to the comic conventions around the, this would be the early 2000s at this point, down to, to the Bristol Comic Convention that used to be at, at that point. And it was, I had no intention of being a comic creator at all. It was all about being there to, to be the punter and um, get the the sketches and the, the books signed and the finding new books. And then one year in Bristol, because they changed their, their structure and set up, all of the small press books were in a, um, they're actually in a different hotel. <laughs> so you had to right. go over to, to visit that hotel to, to, to see what you wanted to see over there. And I just started to speak to some of the small press people more closely, um, picked up a book called West by Tim Keeble and Andrew Cheverton, and just loved that and said, well, hang on, if, if people can do this, why, why can't I? Um, now, it took still several years before I actually got into the actual creation side and was kind of found, or found my niche in terms of what, what would work for me. Because I'm not the uh, not the strongest of the, with the the art chops, but um, I, I can pull the odd thing together when when I need to. Uh, and then it was continued encouragement by those close friends to say, you know, build the penguin out into being what it is today, um, and it's just grown arms and legs thereafter. That's fantastic. Um, and then, do you, do you have any other projects in the works or anything? I really struggled with other projects because right. I try to keep to this daily schedule with yeah. the with the penguin um which means that anytime i get a new idea the first thing i do with that new idea is saying how would it work for a penguin yeah. and you know and it, it is very much forcing that it's also that I, I go through a really strong process of compression right. to say you know how do you make it fit three panels which means when you flip it on its head and turn around and say right i want to write something long form it, it's i i my brain just can't do it at this point so i to do that at some point i'm going to have to stop the pain to go in and i find that also really difficult to do because i don't know what the ending is yeah as well man that's uh that that is tough because your your brain is obviously wired to make things clear and concise i mean Mm. as you say compress um so yeah i guess kind of trying to figure out yeah, maybe taking a break so that your brain can then kind of start to think long form. If you wanted to do that, you know, there's no reason yeah. that, you, that you have to do that. You can just carry on doing the penguin. <laughs> yeah, I have put out a couple of other books that, that do feature other different things. And they're all up in Comic House if, um, mm, if you want to, to see them. A um, couple of them were, were more sort of kid-focused books where everything was written in rhyming couplets. Nice. Which was again, it was about setting a, a different challenge. I, I, I like to work inside parameters, yeah. so you know, create. So, also, the penguin is about saying keeping it to three panels and keeping it compressed. But um, when I did our friends Arachnid and, and Threadbare, both of them are, are, are set aside by writing and rhyming couplets as a, a challenge to say that is the construction that's applied. Nice, that's fantastic. Um, well, uh, yeah, I look forward to the day that. Perhaps you you get onto a bit more long form, um, <laughs> so yeah, make make sure that you let me know when that happens. Um, now, uh, the next question that comes up in the in the car um, as you, as you're crossing uh, crossing the uh, Firth of Forth, uh, Forth of Firth. Fourth of fourth, yep. There you go. Sorry, I did get it right the first time. Sorry, <laughs> I have walked that bridge because because back in the day I I, I did Lands End to John O'Groats and I walked across that bridge. Um, as part of it so um, yeah I did know it <laughs> I just second guessed myself anyway the question that comes up is uh, what is the funniest or the comic that made you laugh out loud the most so the one I'm going to choose here and this was a difficult one because obviously being involved in a humour comic myself there's there's a lot I could have chosen from but the, the first thing that sprang to mind for me was um, sticking with Alan Grant and actually going for The Demon um, which as a title doesn't sound like it should actually be that funny. Um, but I'm really referring to the series that the DC Comics put out in, in the early 90s, where the art was primarily by um, Val Semeckis. Right. Apologies to, if that's mispronounced. but um, And if pushed, I would pick either issues number 6 or, or 38, where... Etrigan the demon is, again, known as a, as a rhyming demon, so he always speaks in rhyme. 
But both of those issues, everybody had to speak in musical terms. So every right. um, word balloon or set of panels is always done as set to music with a sort of wee sub box uh, from the editor saying whatever the tune was that, the, that they were set to. Um, and, and issue 38 of, of The Demon there has, I think it's got Meet the Bastiches, which is what's on the cover, but it's done in, as a homage to Meet the Beatles, yeah. where it's The Demon, uh, Lobo, um, one of the other uh, hell characters, and then one of, one of the characters that they created for the series, which was The Thing That Cannot Die who was one of the, the funniest characters that Alan Grant created for that, that series, where he's a put-upon character from, from hell who really wants to do the right thing and he just wants to go off and die eventually. But um, he just continuously gets abused by Etrigan and by Lobo and put in situations where, because he cannot die, he's the one that always saves the day, but in it's in the most gruesome moment of pain that he goes through to, to get there. Um all of which sounds really quite heavy and hardcore, but I promise you, it's really funny when when you read it. Um, and that, you know that that series also went on to create one of the other great underused DC characters, which is Bator, um, who's similar to, to Groot. All Bator says is, "I am Bator," and, and Bator is one of the masters of hell, so he is the master Bator, and that, that's the kind of level of humour that, the, that you're that you're running up with with some of that. <laughs> that's fantastic and how did you come across that series was it just in the, in the comic shop or just the comic shop yeah it's one of those yeah. see in, in the early 90s where we we didn't have the internet in those days when i was a boy what? um <laughs> it, it literally was um your, your your sources of information were just going in every week and speaking to the mm. staff behind the counter and keeping an eye on what what, what came along um and, and looking at things like DC used to do a wee magazine called DC Currents, which uh, came out about once a month and was just four or five pages of coming soon's, um, and that's how I would have found out about that. Nice. Um, and uh, do you know how long that is? Is that series still going or did that? No, no, no. That, right, from about uh, I think it was about nineteen ninety through ninety five ish or something like that. Oh, it was taken over eventually by by Garth Ennis. And uh, as part of that, one of the storylines that that would have tied into one of the summer crossover things, um, Bloodlines, which led to the creation of the Hitman. And the Hitman was a a character that then spun out. So the the Demon book was closed down and the Hitman book took off. And again, that was Garth Ennis for the the latter part of the 90s. Wow. Uh, it's It's amazing kind of looking back at the history of all of this and kind of the evolution of it all and kind of like you know finding out that garth ns was like at the um at the start of like the new mm. wave of that and you know i don't know it's just it's it's just bewildering and kind of i i, I wish that i was I, I was part of that when i was younger um but uh yeah um as uh you you would have known from from listening to the show that you know i, I only got into comics fairly recently uh, kind yeah. of in the past five years so finding out about all of these you know tidbits of history it's it's really fascinating it's um it's one of these there used to be a television program called rock family trees where they would end up with this big sort of flow chart of how all the bands were interconnected with each other right. and it would be really interesting one of these times to take a you know one of the wikis for for one of the comic for, any, for all the comic companies yeah. to show how people traversed from book to book and how different writers and artists worked together and then you know fell out with each other and then came back together again and all that you know and having that as a big sort of laid out map of of, or a flow chart would be you know be daunting for somebody to pull together but i'm sure it would look really interesting oh definitely and I'm, i'm sure you could turn that into like some sort of mammoth book of, of of history that would be you know yeah one, one heck of a kickstarter i'm sure <laughs> <laughs> awesome uh now the next question uh that comes up is uh what's the saddest or most upsetting comic that you've read so this was the, the probably the category that i struggled the most with and I had to, to kick around several ideas before I, I settled on but i've settled on essex county by jeff lemire right which and and like like a number of these these 
answers. I'm, I'm going to cheat slightly and I'm going to do um, the hardback collection that, that has all the short stories in, in the one place. Nice. Um, so the, the Complete Essex County is, uh, is, is, is a really stunning book, frankly, in terms of, of Jeff's art and, and putting together. So it's a set of short stories that deal with loneliness, uh, the, the breakdown of family relationships and, and how to deal with grief. Um, and there are a number of scenes that, that, that stick with me in terms of the, the first story in the book, which is all about a, a young boy who has recently lost his mother and is, is living with his uncle because his father's estranged. And the boy is, is, is dealing with, you know, having to deal with all these um, emotions and actually gets you know, heavily involved in escapism and spends a lot of the time running around wearing a towel as a sort of superhero cape mm-hmm. and being his, his sort of defence um, and I think there well, well I don't know this for a fact but if you look at some of the scenes that are in the Man of Steel uh, movie where it, Clark is a, is a young child playing on the farm wearing essentially a red towel around his neck as a, as a sort of cape to play with that, that's, I'm sure they lifted that directly from Essex County because yeah. of the way that it kind of ties together um, and it, it's just a really lovely book that you know, it was really heartbreaking at times. Um, the, the second story, which is about two brothers and how the it's all set in Canada, so they, they play ice hockey. And one of them's really good and one of them's okay. But the one who's really good settles down with the wife and takes a job that he doesn't really want. But, you know, it, it, he puts family before the sport. Well, the other one tries to put the sport before anything else, but he's not good enough to, to properly make it and then gets injured. And again, it's about how those brothers fall out because they've taken the different, you know, they have each other's life path, yeah. but they're, so they're, they've, they've gone the wrong way. Um, but then they, they, you know, it's about bringing them back together again towards towards the end of their their lives to say this is, you know, we, we how do we connect with each other? That's amazing. Um, yeah, and it's it's Essex County, Ontario, I believe. Um, yeah. So yeah, for, for for those thinking it's Essex County. <laughs> um like east east of london no no it's canada yeah <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> fantastic um and uh yeah sorry did you describe the third story there? so the, the third story uh, if i remember correctly features yeah. a nurse who again is just is just dealing with the grief of of people coming through the uh the hospital that she deals with and there's um, there's other stories in the in the book as well, but those the, those are the ones that, that you kind of step through to begin with. And um, as I say, it's it, it's it's really simple artwork in terms of you know it's, it's black mm-hmm. and white. It's it's Jeff Lemire knowing when to leave stuff out as well to you know just hold that poignance mm-hmm. because it's that um, big expanse of North America as well. There are certain panels where lots of big flat land so there's a lot of white on the page but a lot of that is about creating that sense of space and sense of loneliness that comes with that um so yeah really good highly recommend it yeah fantastic yeah it looks it looks stunning um just in the way that it's that it's drawn um and i mean the the front cover itself is kind of evocative it's got um like well one of the covers that i that i see um, has kind of what looks like the main characters from the short stories, like above, like a load of tree roots, mm-hmm. um, and obviously that's that's evocative of kind of you know the intricacies of of roots and family. And yeah, things. yeah, yeah. Um, and now, yeah, the 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 um, art itself is is really really beautiful. I'm really gonna have to deep dive into that because um, yeah, the, the the stories sound very uh, emotionally charged um of course yeah. kind of with brotherly competitiveness and the intricacies of your relationships with your siblings and things mm-hmm. um and then um yeah no that looks absolutely beautiful awesome really cool um so um moving on to our uh, our next question uh the the next question that does come up is what's the scariest or most horrifying comic that you've read okay so <laughs> there's another one where I'm, I'm going to take all the way back to 1989, which, is, which was when, when I was still, I think, which is weird because that's when I was getting back into comics, if you like. So arguably a lot of these books I'm raising are the ones I remember when I got back into comics. So if you're not getting back into comics, 
we should have this conversation again with yourself in um, <clears throat> 30 years' time and, and see whether today's <laughs> books actually are the ones that you remember. Yeah. Um, but no, the scary book for me is, I'm, I'm going to say Arkham Asylum, A Serious House on Serious Earth, right. which this is the book that converted me from being a comic reader into being a comic collector. Right. In that Dave McKean essentially changed my view with regard to what was achievable with comic book art. Mm. Um, the nature of this book and the, the writing by Grant Morrison, all of it said like, there there is more that is possible in a, a full-blown graphic novel telling of a story than is just possible in these, these sort of short-form uh, floppy books that, that I was reading more you know, month in, month out. And so this was, I say, it was a book that properly changed the way that I looked at comics in its entirety. But there's the scene in it that, that frankly, is the the one I will never forget and puts it very much in the the scary category. As in, quite early on in the book, um, or maybe about a third of the way through, actually, the the story is about the, the creation of Arkham Asylum and how the Arkham family has been involved with it since the creation of Gotham type thing. Right. And the it so some of it starts off quite early with what is the, the original Doctor Arkham, if you like, who is a psychologist and is is dealing with people with psychosis who are, are criminals and, and the like. And essentially something goes wrong and one of the patients that he's dealing with um escapes and finds out who he is and where he lives in the big house and Dr. Arkham returns home to find that his his wife and and daughter have been murdered. And it's the the, the sight of the dismembered body of of his daughter has left him in in total shock. And you end up with this, it's it's a double page, it's two pages with with panels going across the page where the, the, the wording on the page basically goes along the lines of that, I idly wondered where her head is and then I looked at the doll's house and the doll's house looks at me. Then there's perfect timing to demonstrate his complete descent into madness of that because the next two panels that are on that page are the clock chiming going cuckoo, cuckoo as the cuckoo clock goes. And frankly, I've never looked at a doll's house the same ever since I read this book. (laughs) Or the first one I was looking at, are there eyes in that doll's house looking back at me? Um, So that's, see, in terms of just two pages about, say, the the descent into madness of of that character because of the the, the murdering of his his child and and, and what happens next with with that. Um, that's, That's the thing for me that was scary. And uh, or certainly made me have that that shock fa- factor of going. I'm not comfortable about this. Yeah. Um, so and, and again, so, oh sorry, Alan, go. I was going to say again. So if it's a book that you've not had the chance to to look at, um, it's it's a classic Grant Morrison, arguably slightly overwritten. But uh, as I say, you you it, it's Dave McKean doing a full-blown book and um he did a number of books at that point in time um with from violent cases to uh, mr punch all of which are, are, are brilliant but if, if you want one that's set in in the sort of capes universe arkham mm-hmm. asylum um a serious house on serious earth is uh, is the one that i would highly recommend again check out definitely and um, for for anybody that hasn't seen the type of artwork, I'm just looking at it now, and it's, it's actually horrifying. Some of it, it's it's like it it feels like it's beyond beyond realistic, and it just feels haunting. I don't know. It, it's very much that that fever dream of <laughs> it is a fever just, dream. You know, every, everything's just in your face all the, the time about it. Um, yeah. And there there are some great splash pages of of the Joker oh. where it's just right in your face um and there's yeah there's one where, where he's just jumping out the page essentially saying did you miss me um and again it, it's as i say i think it is a book that's all about saying what is the you know it's a psychiatric hospital 
Yeah. It's never going to be happy. <laughs> nah, no, no. Um, but it's uh, it's the you know so the history of a psychiatric hospital and why the psychosis is in the ground, if you like, from um, from it and um, the. The, yeah, the, the the approach that he takes to a number of the bat villains that that are in it are, is is really really good. Yeah, definitely, that's fantastic. Um, another one that I'm going to have to add to the list, but one that I'm going to be reading during the day, well away from <laughs> like sleep and darkness, and probably in the summer actually, just to make sure that you know I've got as much daylight to get over it as possible by the looks of it. Because, uh, yeah, yeah that, that looks particularly horrifying. Uh, now, um, usually uh, we, we go into um, one of my favourite questions, which is, um, what is your favourite cover? However, we're going to be switching questions around a little bit um, because there's a bit of a lead-in. Um, and the question that we're going to uh, go on to first is, what is the most meaningful comic to you? So the way I've in- interpreted this is it is exactly to me. Um, yeah. And before I became known around the convention scene as uh, that penguin guy, um, I, I used to be known by many of the, the comic professionals as that shadow guy. Right. Um, and that, that was mainly due to the fact that I'd asked essentially anybody that, that would hold a pencil to, to draw the character, the shadow for me. And the most meaningful comic for me is the shadow strikes number one. Which again comes out from from the very early early nineties. Um, so the, the shadow is a character set in the nineteen thirties. It's, it's a, a pulp character where it's um, guns blazing, and he's the law, justice, and decision maker of of it all. Um, it's um, the the book itself, Shadow Strikes Number One where the art is by Eduardo Barreto. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll, I'll not talk about the writer because um, the subsequent information that came out about him that he's now persona non grata. Um, yeah. But um, the, the story itself is, is a 1930s murder mystery. And the, 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 see the, fir- the first story that sets out is, is, is all linked to Russia, where there are appearances of Anastasia or somebody who claims to be Anastasia and um, somebody who appears to be Rasputin as well which again is that whole sort of murder mystery thing that you'd expect from that sort of noir era storyline and mm. um, it, it all just pulled me in um completely because it was like saying this is sort of a, a batman-esque thing but but set with that 1930s outlook where everything's just a bit funkier and a bit um you know the, the classical designs that are associated with um, with that period just just really you know I, I love that sort of stuff um and then you know cars from that period and all that sort of thing uh, and it just really really resonated with me um and um again it was that 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 period of getting back into comics and it was a number one that was on the shelf so i was able to to take it and and, and run with it so and as i said the if the, the shadows that, that I've had drawn since then, they're all up on my um, comic art fans, uh, the website, and then my, my galleries on there, where just about everybody who attended a, a UK comic convention between 2000 and, and 2010 has drawn uh, drawn the shadow for me. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, and um, what what time was this? What, what year? So again, it would be about 1990, I think, for for right. the Shadow Strikes number one, which seems to, as I say, so many of my books for in this selection seem to fall into that that, into that, that time 90s period. period. Yeah. Um, no, that's great though that kind of you had that slight boom of of comics that that got you back into it and everything. Yeah. Definitely. Fantastic. Um, now, um, and um, just off the top of my head, am I right in thinking, so The Shadow, it actually precedes Batman, isn't it? Yeah. So, um, in terms of the actual original publication. So, originally it started out as a radio show um, right. way back in the, the 1940, or 1930s, it would have been. Um, and it was, the, the Shadow actually as a character in the radio show was the... <sighs> The, the the character that actually joined various radio programs together about about murder mysteries and um, and crime noir 
that was so popular as a radio show, they said, well, we should have our own books. And um, a guy called Walter Gibson um, produced circa 250, I think it is, um, novels. That um, so imagine Mills and Boone, but done for for crime noir, where he's producing a book a month, wow. <laughs> and, and, and just churned them out one after another. Um, and as I say, there's about 250 of those in terms of actual books. And because that was popular, there was also comics that came out, mm-hmm. um, both at at that point in time, the 1940s. Then DC had a revival with the character in the early 70s, uh, featuring the artwork of, of Mike Kaluta, which, um, frankly, is is probably the, the, the pinnacle in terms of the art that's associated to, uh, to the character. Uh, and then there was another revival again with DC in, um, in the early 80s, it would have been, where it was um, Howard Chaikin. Did, did a piece and um, Kyle Baker did a piece and it, you know it's gone through various stages most recently it came out through um, Dynamite right. where they had some very nice covers but the mm. content wasn't necessarily mm. as, as high as or the storytelling wasn't as high as some of us would have would have really wanted but that's you know it wasn't for me I'm sure other people enjoyed it it's probably <laughs> where where we go with that Fair enough. Um, and and am, I, am I right in thinking that it was a slight inspiration for Batman? Definitely, yeah. Shadow, so that, wasn't if, it? Yeah, it's... If you think about it, the, the Shadow is the classical um, millionaire by day, crime fighter by night type, yeah. type starting piece. That's where the, the, the concept for Bruce Wayne would have come from. Um, and it's been quoted by... Um, Bob Kane as, as being one of the inspirations. Right. So, yeah. Okay. So, um, definitely um, one of the inspirations. And, um, yeah, I mean, what a, what a legacy. That's <laughs> 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 crazy. Um, excellent. Uh, so, uh, moving on uh, from that um, and leading into our next question, uh, what is your favourite cover? So, I'm going to stick with the Shadow Strike series and I'm going to go for the cover to issue number seven, where you've got the main character. Um, standing behind a classical radio mic um, with the the 45s in his hands and the the smoke coming off the end of the guns. Um, Basically, it it pulls together that relationship between the radio, the the character, the the nature of his uh, his justice that he hands out and... um, for for a long period of time, it was bagged and bored and pinned to my to my bedroom wall mm. um, when when I was at university. Um, yeah, so that that that's the one that I always think for that. Um, art by the late Eduardo Barreto, um, who was an Argent I think he was Argentinian. It might be Uruguay, right. um, South American. There you go. <laughs> yes. um, so um, I never had the chance to meet him in person, but we did exchange a number of, uh, of emails and um, he, he drew a little piece for me. So that was, was all nice. Oh, um, fantastic. And you were yeah. right. You, uh, you, he was from Uruguay. Right. Um, so, yeah, so, so it's a real shame that he's not with us anymore. Mm, indeed. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, looking at this, um, at this cover, um, it is, like, really kind of intense you do, you've got the shadow, as you say, behind the microphone. He's holding his two guns. He's clearly just, sh- well, shot them both because they're both smoking. Yeah. Um, and the and the use of black is like to to actually get the shadows um, yep. on the shadow um, on his nose, his scarf, and his coat and his hat. I mean, that's that's incredible use of black to mm. create the ripples in his coat and the scarf and things and. Yeah, wow. Yeah, as I say, you can imagine that on the on the shelf in the in the comic shop. It it was one of the ones that that popped out on on that particular week. Yeah, definitely. Um, that's that's fantastic. Great stuff. Um, now, um, moving on to uh, one of the most interesting questions, uh, and that is, what is the most underrated comic? Right. So you're you're getting back into comics. Um, 
you you know who Frank Miller is. You've probably been been told all the big Frank Miller storylines that uh, that you should be reading. You, you'll know who Dave Gibbons is because there's uh, he's the you know one half of the Watchmen uh, creator team amongst many many other things. Yet there's a book that they both worked on <laughs> that for some reason just doesn't seem to get the same shout out that all, all their other work does. Uh, and again, I'm going to cheat ever so slightly and, and go for an omnibus edition, which is the, the life and times of Martha Washington in the 21st century. Great. Now, the, which collects the original Give Me Liberty miniseries, the Martha Washington Goes to War miniseries, and a number of other one-shots as well. So the... Give Me Liberty series, uh, which, which kicked this all off, is the initial life of Martha Washington, essentially from her birth in the the projects. Um, all of this is set in the near future of, um, well, actually, it's probably it's probably more than now, actually, but from when it was written. But it was, it was a really early sort of um, 21st century side of things where they've moved into a slightly dystopian America where there is a political elite that's running everything um, and uh, is putting things in place around the, the armed forces having to control uh, vast amounts of how they, they country operates and how the country runs itself and everything's been run by force in that way as, and i say so martha's born into that in terms of the uh, you know a, a deprived part of the piece and the, the, the book starts off about saying how does she get through the trials and tribulations of having to lift herself out of the projects and, and find a way out and ultimately she ends up joining the army and um, she distinguishes herself um as, as being a, a good soldier but is ultimately betrayed by her commanding officer. Um, this then leads her to, to seek revenge, and is essentially by the end of the, the first sort of arc of storylines, she's establishing herself as a, a leader in the armed forces and saying that you know she's now taking that control position away from, from the people who previously controlled her, but she's still inside the system. The, the story then you know, continues on, as the you know, there's further corruption of, from the political masters, and she then switches sides to join the rebellion and the revolution that comes with that. Um, and as I say, at one point she even ends up in space. It's it, it, which sounds ridiculous, but it's it's more <laughs> well, it's more Moonraker type space adventure than it ah, is okay. um, the you know. So it is that whole near Earth, but we're. Or I suppose nowadays we would call it space force. Actually, thinking it's <laughs> yeah, it, it more and more is coming <laughs> coming true. Um, so, it's Frank Miller. It's Dave Gibbons. Why isn't this a big, a better known book? Why isn't this being turned into the the TV series or movie? Well, I can only imagine because a it's a female lead and b she's a a, a person of color. Mm-hmm. So that's probably what's dragging it down in terms of getting that that Hollywood backing at this point. But uh, it, it's it's a perfect mix of action, intrigue, and and political satire uh, that, that that covered the whole of the nineties in terms of when these books were coming out. And then, as I say, there's this omnibus edition that that has everything that runs from from birth right through to the final storyline, where it, it's uh, it, it's her death in circa twenty one oh five or something like that um in, in terms of the, the whole century then passed that's incredible it's a, it's a heck of a thick book so, oh yeah yeah it'd knock you out if you were hit with it um by the looks of it so, yeah um, yeah i'm definitely gonna have to check that out at some point. So, certainly start with give me liberty which is to say you can, right. you can which is bound to be a comicsology. the yeah. um and it, it, it's, it's a four issue miniseries that's it, it just sets everything up but it, it's classic Dave Gibbons art it's so clean and mm. so tight um, and um, it, it, the, this is all before Frank Miller went a bit off the rails as well so this is still early Frank <laughs> Miller knowing how to do political satire without being a little bit too far over the edge um, yeah. yeah that's brilliant fantastic yeah you definitely have to uh, check that out too uh, now we come on to the the most difficult question 
and that is for you what is the best comic of all time so being a dc boy rather than a marvel boy i'm i'm literally going to to go for the the book that changed everything and that's crisis on infinite earths because it, it, it proved that anything was possible and you could have a coherent, coordinated, universe-wide storyline that, that pulled in all the major characters, featured everybody in, in how they all interacted with each other and just demonstrated that you can make big changes and make them stick for a period of time. Um, it's perhaps lost some of its power as you know this was mid 80s so this was what 85 86 that the crisis originally came out mm-hmm. and what, what, what we don't appreciate today is that nothing like that had really been done before to take a whole universe of um, of comics and say we are going to scrap it and start again but let's have a proper storyline about how it happens and how how do we get all these different people speaking to each other so that you can have this this multiverse approach of saying that there's um, various Earths that, that have to interact with each other when previously we've deliberately said, no, this is the Earth where all the villains are in charge or this is the Earth where the Nazis won the war. or you know, And how do we manage to make that? And you've got Marv Wolfman pulling all the strings and, and pulling the strings of the whole universe together. Um, and you've got George Perez, who has an ability to draw thousands of characters into one scene, and you still know who everybody is. Yeah. Which, um, it, it, it's, as I say, it's, it features some scenes now that are basically the bedrock of being the copied and homaged images. The, or the homage storylines as well, actually, for that matter. So everybody knows the the cover that, that features Superman holding the, the the death of Supergirl in in his arms, mm. and as I say that that's probably had as many homages as um, as any other covers ever had. Mm. To, to me, the actual better story piece, or the the, the more hard hitting one, uh, is actually more when you get to issue number eight, which features the death of Barry Allen. Um, it's a story that is for sure. In, in issue one of Crisis, you there's a, a the, the Flash appears to Batman in a sort of um, shade like you know, or a, as, a, as a ghostly image, and it's uh, it's not really borne out as to why that's happening until you get to issue eight, and that's because he's running so fast to stop the the explosion of the, the universe and and catch the um the, the bullet that that's that's going there he actually starts running backwards through time yeah so that's why you've got him appearing in issue one going backward and that that whole sort of concept of saying how you've he's mixed that through and how you then have the linkages to the creation of wally west becoming the flash it's all just beautifully done while still being so vast in its scale that you're thinking, how how did I've no idea how Marv Wolfman managed to balance that concept of saying I've got very small intricate stories to tell here, while telling everything at once, um, and it, it's just beautifully balanced. Incredible, and it's like what what an undertaking, all of this. Mm. Like, I mean, t- time travel in storytelling is notoriously difficult and can be, you know, um, be messed up really easily. Um, but the fact that, you know, by the sounds that they pulled it off. <laughs> then... Yeah. I see, everyone thinks today oh, that the, this whole concept of just doing a crossover across all of the X-Men books or a crossover across, you know, all of the, the DC books for a, for a summer event or something like that is just seen as, as a thing that just naturally seems to happen and people just accept it and they, they choose and buy books that, that they want to. Yeah. To me, this was the, the first time that it properly happened. Yeah. Um, and... As I say, it's therefore it, it, it's lost some of its impact purely because we're looking back at it. Right. But at the time, yeah. nobody knew what was coming next, and nobody, mm. you know, it, it it changed everything. It was epic. That's awesome, man. Um, and again, another another thing that I wish I was uh, I was part of at the time that it was happening. But uh, 
hey ho <laughs> um, best best not to look back um now um if you could only take one comic into the apocalypse which would it be so from this list i, I would actually take the martha washington book yeah and that's because as a as a book it truly has a beginning middle and end um which means that you've, you've got that whole life story of, of an individual to to go through uh, and i think that's a, a nice way to look at it saying right i've got everything around that one person here while some of the other books are more um they're defining in what they are but they don't give you that that complete picture of an individual uh i think you also pointed out that as a book it's probably the thickest one that's on on the list that i've made which means that if i'm sitting in the bunker on a on a cold dark evening then i've, I've got long enough to, to read it in terms of all its way through and i'm sure it could be turned into a weapon as well if, if needed so that's pretty good from that perspective fantastic um, and with that in mind uh what weapon tool or useful item would you like to take into the apocalypse with you? So I, I would like to take a, an android with me, paranoid or otherwise. Um, or, or if need be, I would take the, the next generation of the robots that the MIT uh, biometrics team are putting together. Yep, yep. Um, the death dogs. Yeah. yeah. You know, so what, <laughs> let's you know give them a couple of generations to, to move on, but let, let, let's have one of those. I think that would be useful to you because know, you could, you know, it could do the fetching and carrying. Clearly, I realised by doing so, I'm probably setting myself up for the next apocalypse as the robots rise up and um, exactly. take on uh, take us. But that, that's double a future generations problem. Alan, you've created a double <laughs> apocalypse. No, no, that, that, that's a future <laughs> future generations problem, not mine. I'm, I'm just planting the seed that's going to cause it for them. So that's, uh, but uh, yeah, no, they could fetch and carry and do all the heavy lifting as as we move around. I think that would be be useful. Right. And if we're, if we're setting up the farm and that, they could. Uh, maybe dig some of the uh, some of the fields over and things yeah fantastic very very useful well alan henderson thank you so much for sharing your comics for the apocalypse thank you oh, it's been a real pleasure um and for the listeners one more time uh, where can they find you on the internet so yep go into any social media and just search for penguin and you'll you'll find me that way fantastic and again those links are in the show notes and uh, do you have any events coming up this year at all so already signed up for the edinburgh comic con in april uh, glasgow comic con is in june and uh, i'll hopefully get myself well i'll be at thought bubble one way or other whether i'm buying the table or uh, or in front of it i will definitely be there oh fantastic and fingers crossed i'll be i'll be making it as well so uh, perhaps we could uh, we could uh, get together when we're there. yeah it'd be great yeah definitely fantastic uh well again alan thank you so much for your time today it's been a real pleasure um and uh yeah i i, I do hope that we get to meet face to face at some point looking forward to it fantastic thanks alan okay thank you bye for now thanks again to alan for being on comics for the apocalypse it was an absolute pleasure if you enjoyed the show today, please leave a review for us on iTunes or whichever podcast service you use, as not only will it let me know that you liked it, but I believe that it helps make other people aware of the show as well. And if you'd like to check out Alan's work or follow him on social media, those links are in the show notes, along with all of our own links to the various areas of the internet. And also a big thank you to Comic Scene for sponsoring the show. And finally, as long as the apocalypse doesn't come to pass in the next week, I'll see you next Monday. Bye for now.